I'm going to think about him tonight as we come for the seventh time to the Apostle Paul's letter to the first century church in Colossae. Seventh time, we're thinking tonight about this Lamb, the Lord of my life. Worthy is the Lamb, the Lord of my life. This uh, epistle of Paul's is a wonderfully engaging epistle for the child of God. I uh, have to confess to be somewhat perplexed, therefore, that the parts aren't more so engaged in what is a wonderful letter. But there we are. Colossians chapter 1, let's read from verse 21. I promise tonight to conclude the first chapter. And uh, then next week to get into chapter 2. So, seven studies in one chapter. That's, well, there we are. I said it was engaging, didn't I? Um, maybe we can move a little quicker through chapter 2. Who knows? So, Colossians 1, we'll read from verse 21 through to 29. Paul writes, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now, he that is God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith. Established and firm, not moved from the gospel, so from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body which is the church. I have become its, the church's servant, by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. This is God's word. And they are engaging scriptures, demanding scriptures, but we trust the Lord to help us as we peruse them tonight. Father, a blessing to your word and help us in our uh, struggles with it. We pray that you might open your word to our hearts, our hearts to your word, in Christ's name. Amen. In the 19th century, Karl Marx used a word that in the 20th century became the basis for a communism which cost millions of people their lives. That word was alienation. 
alienation. Marx believed workers had been alienated from the fruits of their labour by the exploitation of the capitalist bosses. So far as the Bible is concerned, there is a deeper, more serious alienation than that. Serious though that was. As far as the Bible is concerned, there is an exploitation by sin that alienates us from God and from each other. These verses in Colossians chapter 1 remind us what God has done about this alienation. Because bless God tonight, he has done something about it. Though alienated from God, says Paul in verse 21, he says, now in Christ we have been reconciled. Verse 22. My friends, God in Christ has reconciled us, though born in sin, therefore born alienated because of sin from God. He's reconciled us to himself. Jesus has died so that he might present us wholly in his presence without blemish. And notice that, that, uh, that phrase in verse 22, free from accusation. I love that phrase, don't you? Free from accusation. Beloved, isn't that a fantastic thing? Well, I find it is, anyhow. Christ has died so that we can be free from that gnawing accusation, that conscience that is always twisting us this way and that. And in addition, there is the accuser of the brethren, as Revelation chapter 12 describes the devil, putting his oar in and stirring the guilt about. But we've been liberated from that, free from accusation. But Christ has died for us, and as we surrender to him, we are presented free from accusation. I love that old hymn, 18th century hymn of Charles Wesley, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? The last verse, you know it well. No condemnation now, I dread. No condemnation now. I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Brethren, would you believe it? Doug Atherton, no longer alienated, but reconciled. Would you believe it? Would you Adam and Eve it? Doug Atherton no longer guilty, but free from accusation. How wonderful this is. This is what Paul claims here in his wonderful scriptures. Though, my friends, because of the exploitation of sin, we were alienated from God, God the Father in Christ has reconciled us to himself. 
that we might be free from accusation, presented before God and his presence without blemish. Oh, what a salvation this is. My first thought is this. Having been so reconciled, therefore saved by God's grace through faith, we are saved for a reason. We're saved for a purpose. And Paul alludes in these scriptures, verse 24, that we're saved for suffering. Now that doesn't sound too attractive, does it? Let's be honest. Who wants to be saved (laughs) for suffering? Seems like something of a dichotomy, doesn't it? Almost like a contradiction in itself. But that's the gospel. The gospel is a contradiction, of course. And uh, Paul says, we're saved, hallelujah. (laughs) But for suffering. He says, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, he says. Strange thing to do, wouldn't you say? How many would say, I'm rejoicing tonight for the sake of suffering? Well, it seems a little odd, doesn't it? It cuts across our our humanity somewhat. cuts across, across our natural conscience. But Paul rejoices for what was suffered for the church in Colossae. He's probably alluding to the sufferings of Christ, of course. And so he would rejoice in such, wouldn't he? Because if it were not for the sufferings of Christ, then the Colossians would not be saved, reconciled and liberated. And then he goes on further to say, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of the body which is the church. So he says, I, I, I rejoice in what was suffered for you in Christ, Christ's suffering. And then he says, And I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking. He says, so therefore, there's still suffering required for you. But Christ has suffered. So from whence does this suffering that is still required for the sake of the church, from whence does that come, he says? I fill up in my flesh. So I rejoice that Christ has suffered for you, that you might be free, liberated, And I also recognize that suffering is still required for the sake of the church. And and there's a sense in which he embraces this suffering. Now, first reading, it sounds as if Paul is putting himself himself forward here as a kind of a co-redeemer. But that's, that's not the case. Paul is prepared to suffer for the gospel he believes in. Paul is prepared to suffer for the Colossian church. He recognizes that suffering is still required. This is very much a part of what the gospel is. So that others might come to know Christ. God, friends, only ever had one son without sin. Jesus Christ. But he actually has no sons or daughters without suffering. Think about it. God only ever had one son without sin. But he actually has no sons or daughters without suffering. For others to hear the gospel, as as we understand the Apostle Paul, some will suffer a great deal. Subsequent to the suffering of Christ. 
Some may even pay the ultimate price. I was reading recently the story of a little Welsh girl, North Wales, by the name of Mary Fisher. Mary Fisher had the face and the voice of an angel, it is told. Mary Fisher, responding to the call of God, studied at London Bible College in the early 1970s. And upon graduation, she went off to be a missionary with the Elim Church to what was then Rhodesia, now of course Zimbabwe. In June 1978, Mary Fisher and another dozen missionaries with their children were brutally butchered to death by the so-called freedom fighters. A certain Stan Hanan, a chaplain with the Rhodesian army at the time, was one of the first on the scene of that dreadful and literal carnage. In fact, all the animals and the birds had fled from the area, it is said, as if nature itself was revolted by the sheer wickedness demonstrated there. Later this chaplain Stan reported, I quote, You could feel the air heavy with evil. Mary actually survived for a couple of days. But thank God, however, the Lord did take her home. Such were the appalling injuries inflicted upon the girl with the face of an angel. Subsequently to her tragic massacre, the troops found Mary Fisher's cassette player. On that cassette player was a song that she had been teaching the children in the mission school there in Rhodesia. One of those songs was, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Sometime later, when the guerrilla's warfare was over, some of those terrorists came to the Lord Jesus Christ and found him as a saviour and a lord. Friends, it was out of suffering, even the ultimate price, Mary Fisher's death, that a church was birthed right there in northern Rhodesia. Who would have believed it? We wouldn't have written the script, would we? But God did. And God knows what's required. No wonder the early church father, Tertullian, once said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Jesus, remember, says in John twelve twenty four, I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, the authorized it says, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It brings forth much fruit, says the authorised. Friends, Mary Fisher and her missionary colleagues, it seemed, had to die. But their deaths, though from a human perspective, were were tragic and, and, and needless. From their deaths, a church was birthed. The Apostle Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking. 
with regard to the church and Christ's afflictions. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Jesus calls us to follow him, it is a call to come and die. <laughs> For those of you familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story, he was a martyr for the faith. He managed to escape uh, the early years of, uh, of the Nazi regime by studying in North America. But he had a heart for the church, the Christian church, in his home country of Germany. And so because of that heart for the home, the home church, he went back to Germany. He was subsequently captured, of course, and imprisoned pretty well throughout the entire war in a concentration camp. One week, seven days before the Allied forces liberated that concentration camp, Dietrich Bonhoeffer paid the ultimate price. The Gestapo faced him against the wall and says, Deny your God and live. Well, of course, for him it was a no-brainer. And rather than shoot him, they did something even more terrible. They hung him with piano wire. The evilness of man. And yet some somebody saw, one of the Gestapo saw how that man died and later came to faith in Christ. Now you would die, we would never have written that, would we? But you see, God knows. And he knows what's required. And what is required is that a grain of wheat falls onto the ground and, and dies. It's referring, of course, to, to our self-denial. If we are to come to Christ, we must deny ourselves. Salvation begins there. But friends, if we are to continue in Christ, we have to deny ourselves. That sense of self-denial is not a, a one-off crisis experience alone. It's the beginning of a life of self-denial. And Paul says, I fill up in my flesh. What is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction? He says, in other words, I embrace the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the Christian church. Some Christians like Mary Fisher, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pay the ultimate price for following Jesus. But all Christians are called to pay something to follow the crucified so that others might hear the gospel. One of my favourite uh, contemporary poets, I suppose, is Amy Carmichael. And some of her words challenge me deeply. This particular piece is called No Scar. For those that want to buy it, it's uh, from uh, a CLC, uh, CLC production from called Towards Jerusalem. Listen to this. No Scar. Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand. I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? <coughs> Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Leaned me against the tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet, as the master, shall the servant be? And pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine a whole. Can he have followed far? 
Thou hast no wound, no scar. Ouch. Can't he have followed far who has no wound, no scar? A servant of the gospel. Those who are reconciled. Hallelujah. You and I in Christ. We of course suffer for the gospel. We are servants for the gospel. To paraphrase a line of a hymn. If we suffer with our Lord below. We reign with him above. In the meantime. Says the apostle Paul. Verses 25 through 27. In the meantime. We serve him. We serve him. Paul says that he has found, if you like, his niche in life. He knows what he was built for. He knows what he was called to. He knows why he was there in uh, the region of the Holy Land during the first century AD. He says, I have become a servant of the gospel. Brothers, sisters, do you ever wonder why you're here? Here in Pontefrace in 2017. Well, my friends, I'll tell you why. Just if, it's, if the penny hasn't already dropped. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you are here to become a servant of the gospel. That's, that's super, isn't it? That's extraordinary. You are here, divinely appointed. One thing to have uh, a royal commission uh, by Queen Elizabeth II, that would be quite something, wouldn't it? To have a royal commission... An ambassador from this country to another has a royal commission under Queen Elizabeth II. That would be quite something, wouldn't it? My friends, you've got something even more special. You have a divine commission. Not just a royal one. A divine commission of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to be a servant of the gospel for the Apostle Paul, of course. It was in Asia Minor and it was in, in part of, of the Holy Land. Unite in Pontypris. Well, Pontypris is as good as Asia Minor. You know what I mean? It's, it's where God's called us. This is a call to each and every one of us to be a servant of the gospel wherever he has placed us. Be it in the old folks' home, be it in the high-tech company, wherever we are, we are servants of the gospel. For some of us, this call becomes so persistent that it becomes a calling to full-time service at home or overseas. But whatever and wherever we are called to share the gospel. The Apostle Paul puts it that we might be ministers of a message of reconciliation. Wow! Isn't that something? Ambassadors of the kings of kings and lord of lords, ministers of a message of reconciliation. Verses 28 through 29 he says, we proclaim him, that is Christ. We proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect. The word can equally be translated mature there. We can present everyone mature in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Struggling with all Christ's energy. I like that. There's a, there's a, a reassuring mix there, isn't there? He's referring to the, to the energy of Christ. But he speaks about struggling. 
It's kind, of, it's kind of reassuring, isn't it? Because, let's be honest, we every one of us wrestle and struggle with this Christian life, don't we? Of course we do. Because this side of glory, we are still in the flesh. And it's a struggle, it's a wrestle. And Paul says, I struggle with his energy. Now, that tips the balance, doesn't it? I struggle, but with Christ's energy, which so powerfully works in me. The question often occurs to me, how on earth did the Apostle Paul do it? How on earth did he do it? Remember, for the, for the most part, throughout the duration of his ministry, he, he was a tent maker. The expression we use, he was a tent maker. He had a job. He had, he had the, the, the nine to five. Day job. So to speak. He, he, he made tents. To, 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 to keep, to keep living, to keep functioning. To bring the pennies in. He was a tent maker. And yet he planted church after church after church after church. Some scholars suggest he planted up to 12 churches. Now you tell me, how did he do that? And not only did he plant up to 12 churches, he also pastored those churches for a time until he he discipled and trained leaders that he put into place. And then he wrote letters. <laughs> he, he wrote pretty well almost uh, more than, more, almost half of, of the New Testament, for goodness sake. How on earth did this guy do it? Was he superhuman? No. Did he have Christ? Yes. Yes. He says in verse 27, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery, Paul? What's the mystery you're saying to yourself? Well, hallelujah, he tells us. Christ in you. Christ in you. Hallelujah. Isn't that something? So we wonder, how on earth did the Apostle Paul do it? Christ in him? One of the benefits of living close to my granddaughter Willow Grace is that I can regularly get to watch children's films with a good conscience. I have an excuse when someone comes in and, and Willow and I are cutched up watching a children's movie. Oh, I'm not watching this for me. I just Willow asks to put it on. <laughs> one of my old one of my old friends favourite uh, heroes as a child was Spider-Man. I grew up loving Spider-Man. I used to jump around the bath. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. You know what I mean? You haven't been there. Oh, I loved it. Well, you know, Spider-Man's having recently a new lease of life in Hollywood. And you know how he became Spider-Man? Well, he got bitten by a radioactive spider. And since then he's been hanging around absolutely everywhere. In other words, the effect of that bite, and yet I'm sure, I know it's pure fiction, but the the effect of that bite has given him powers and abilities and capacities that he never had before. Now, if I can put it reverently, when I am bitten by the Lord of glory, 
When I am bitten by the supreme governor of his church, the Lord of the universe, when I am in touch with him, with the Lord Jesus Christ, it is Christ in me. And then I have, my friends, abilities and powers and capacities and resources that I did not have before. Hallelujah. I did not have before. We wonder how the nerdy fishes of this world could, could embrace the sufferings they embraced. Christ in, Christ in Mary Fisher. We wonder how Dietrich Bonhoeffer could have the grace he had to suffer the way he did. He could have escaped Nazi Germany. Why on earth in your right mind would you go back? Christ in Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You wonder how you and I, how might we, like the Apostle Paul, become servants of the gospel in this cruel day and age? When we are very much in a minority, friends. When our backs are very much against the wall, friends. When the world and the flesh and the devil encroach against us in such poignant, significant, difficult ways. How will we cope? How will we build his church? How can we extend his kingdom? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Friends, if Jesus is for me, he is with me. And if Jesus is for me and he is with me, then he is in me. His sovereignty becomes my sufficiency. Isn't that something? Friends, we need to speak less about our problems, less about our inadequacies, and so much more about the sufficiency of the one who has all the power of the universe in his hands. And the very same one who says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go you therefore. What Lord? All authority in heaven and earth, says Christ, has been given to me. What, is, what am I going to do with it, he says. What am I going to do with it? Go you therefore. I'm going to give it to you. My friend, when we've been bitten... <laughs> Not by a radioactive spider, though I'd love that. When we've been bitten, when we've been bitten by the Lord of glory, the supreme governor of the church, the Lord of the universe, when we've been bitten by the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have all his abilities, all his power, all his resources at our disposal. Brethren, do we believe it? Gosh, I look too often... Uh, are a defeated church and we've allowed the, the enemy to convince us otherwise and we wallow in our self-pity we wallow in our problems we wallow in our inadequacies Christ in you says the Apostle Paul Christ in you how you say by his Holy Spirit the Blessed Comforter the hope of glory C.H. Spurgeon, I shared this on Tuesday at the prayer meeting. Blessed me. C.H. Spurgeon says, How often are the saints of God downcast and sad? I do not think they ought to be. I do not think they would be if they could always see the perfection in Christ. 
There are some who are always talking about corruption and the depravity of the heart and the innate evil of the soul. This is quite true. But why not go a little further and remember that we are perfect in Christ? It is no wonder that those who are dwelling upon their own corruption should wear such downcast looks. But surely, if we call to mind that Christ is made unto us righteousness, we shall be of good cheer. Hallelujah. Isn't that something? Paul says, Christ in you, in me, Paul, in me, Doug Adam, that scouser, in exile, in Pontypridd, that guy. Yeah, says Paul, Christ in him, Christ in you. Really? Yeah. And that's what makes the difference. Isn't that something? Father, let's pray. We thank you for your precious word. How wonderful it is. It blesses us so. Forgive us, Father, often we listen to the enemy and his demonic host. And we do become downcast of soul, disheartened and discouraged. Oh, Father, have mercy. Might we lift up our eyes, even tonight, realize afresh that it is Christ in us. Christ in me. Christ in me. Hallelujah. The hope of glory. All that I need and more to be effective as a servant of the gospel for your kingdom's sake. Amen.